Welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Michael Grant. Hi everyone, I am Charlotte. Yeah, so I'm Sam. I'm my own blog now. <laughs> <laughs> um, plug away. PropTech for us as Metricus is, again, it's not just new, it is legacy as well. That's what it's all about, really, apart from me rambling on like I'm doing now. So, uh, That's why it's called PropTech, right? <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another PropTech Ramble, uh, a live one. Uh, we are joined by Matt Marson. To give the noise, the Queen Elizabeth line in the UK has just finished and now they're pulling everything down. Although it was three and a half years late and four and a half billion over budget, they're being very efficient in pulling all their shit out. Uh, so with me, Matt Marson, founder of Smart Building Bootcamp uh, and a man I love very much and another person I love, Gabrielle McMillan from uh, Equiem, the CEO and founder. Uh, Gab, you're recovering from COVID, so thank you very much for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Uh, so we are today talking about smart, uh, what are we talking about today? Smart building solutions, if I can read this properly. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about smart building solutions uh, in general, uh, but first of all, for people who don't know the pair of you, could you do an introduction to yourself, Matt, please, and who you are and what you do and all the wonderful things. Sure, right. Uh, Dr. Matthew Marson, co-founder at Smart Building Bootcamp. I've been uh, super lucky to have a career in smart buildings and smart cities, working on all sorts of weird, wonderful, wacky and exciting projects, including the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, 22 Bishopsgate here in London and Oxygen at Neon, to name but a few. And yeah, I think kind of where it's sort of come from with um, smart building bootcamp and, and why I kind of want to talk about some of that today is just the challenges around proper digital education for those that work in the built environment. Cool and Gabrielle knows a lot about that as well. Gab, could you please introduce yourself to everyone? Sure, can do. Uh, so Gabrielle McMillan, CEO and co-founder of Equium. Uh, Equium is, uh, we say, tenant experience OG. Uh, so we <laughs> started the company 10 years ago in Australia, you can probably tell by my accent. Um, really focused on how, how can you create a, a digital community within a building? Um, you know, how can you connect all the people within the building, the retailers and, you know, and really provide services, events, community, place making. Um, we scaled the business globally. So I'm uh, dialed in from New York today where I live, um, but the, the company now operates um, across five countries, including the UK. Um, and in fact, um, we recently acquired uh, a UK software company called Vicinity, um, which was powering the property operations uh, toolkit for many of London's, you know, big buildings and campuses, British Land, King's Cross, the Shard, the Gherkin, etc. And so over the last 12 months, we've really been bringing that together um, and, you know, bringing to the market now this kind of end-to-end -end tenant experience, property operations and data and analytics platform. Um, so that's, that's Equi. Cool. Thank you. Now, we have uh, one question that when we put this out, there was one question that kept coming through and through and through and in, in various different ways it was written, but it was the same thing. So we have one overarching question and uh, I think we probably we have quite a few questions, but this one I think we'll talk about the most uh, is why is it so hard to find a perfect smart building solution? Now, I have my own answer to this, but I talk all the time. So I'm going to hand to Gab first and just say Gab. Why do you think it's so hard to find a smart, a perfect smart building solution? Now, I say perfect because I don't think that exists. But I, well, yeah, it's it's tempting just to pop that question back to you and say, what's a perfect smart building solution? But 
I think it's because the industry is still pretty new. Um, you know, real estate has been relatively slow in the scheme of other industries to adopt technology. Um, I have I have a theory about that, which is to say that there really hasn't been a lot of need for innovation in real estate because it's been possible to make a lot of money from real estate without really um, needing to be you know overly forward thinking around technology or overly customer centric. Um, and I think that's starting to change. But so I think it's an industry that hasn't been particularly innovative, that hasn't, there's been no urgency, you know, around a lot of these tools. And of course, you know, demand fuels supply, fuels demand. So really we've got a bunch of technology companies that are really fairly early stage in the scheme of things. And, you know, and I think we're all still learning, you know, actually how to, um, you know, how to get value from a lot of these smart building tools. So pretty, pretty early stage. I think they take a little while to get in and, and actually show value. And so we just, maybe we just haven't had long enough. You know, that's, that's my view. Yeah, I, I do think before I jump to you, Matt, because I love to talk, uh, I do think that there is the immaturity, the immaturity of the market is a big one. And I think you're right, Gab, the, the pull from the market hasn't been there because you know, until the pandemic, everyone was fat of cash. No one cared how many people were really in the office, but they had office space. And, you know, you've got hardware vendors that are also going direct to customers and trying to go through partners. And so the whole kind of space is still quite immature. I think it's maturing quite quickly. I think over the next few years, we'll see the good companies stay and the other ones drop out. Uh, uh, but I also do think that you know, the, you know, every cloud has a silver line. I mean, pandemic wasn't great for, for many reasons, but I think that has changed everyone's perception of what they need to do. ESG and the, you know, the climate crisis, it's almost, again, not, not saying that COVID was a good thing, but it's almost the perfect storm coming out the back end for things to start to line up for us. Because those of us who've been in this space for more than three years, four years, five years, you used to have to push doors open and wedge your foot in so people would listen to you now the doors are are already open so, uh. yeah i think the difficulty that folks have had in picking their solutions is probably uh because they have to compare apples to oranges and that's really yeah. tough because what a piece of software or hardware does everyone wants a unique selling point and because of that it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to miss out on X, Y, Z if I pick this thing, but then I miss out on another thing if I go for the other. And then I suppose to kind of compound the problem is just the kind of lack of proper digital education in the built environment. So people struggle with what it is they're buying anyway, yeah. because the right buzzwords have been said, and they've not been able to properly kind of interrogate what that means. And so I think that's why we've been left with a load of indecision and then poor decisions, which then turns into a bit of a story. And then the cycle kind of you know yeah. builds. <laughs> I, and I do think people have oversold and underdelivered in this market as well. But like you say, you've gone from somebody who and, and we all deal with different customers, right? When we're talking with customers in the built environment, we deal with workplace people, facilities people, operations people, HR people we're dealing with now as well. Some of these people have no idea what a smart building is or a digital building is. So I think and it's not a lack of education, it's a lack of knowledge because people are trying to learn, hence why we created Smart Building Bootcamp. But I think that people are needing to learn fast, but where do you go to get independent advice on what, I, what you need to help you? Because 
not everyone starts in the same place either, right? Like we've got a customer that's, that started with energy, one started with indoor air quality, the other one starts with water, the other one starts with capacity. All of those people have different starting points, but how do you get there? Gab, we've worked on tenant experience app, uh, you know, projects together where they want everything in a tenant experience app, but they're asking for some of the things that other people do. And how do you bring that together? And it's educating them on that piece as well. So, yeah. I yeah think ideally, a good vendors, you know, should be playing the role of educator as well. Yes. Um, but to your point, Michael, unfortunately, that's not always the case, you know, and there's a lot of shiny slide decks that, that go around in early stage tech companies. And that is part of the problem, right? Matt, you just said it, you know, and so, you know, then if you kind of, you, you, you know, we've definitely met customers that are once bitten twice shy around some of these things, right? Um, and it's like, I was sold this and I got this and now I don't know how to believe any of you guys, you know, which is, which is a shame. But I think it's all just part and parcel of, of an industry that's, that's pretty early stage. Um, I think the disparate solutions is is a big issue as well, right? There's a lot of a lot of groups doing part of, and I think I mean one of the reasons why we acquired Vicinity, you know, customers are definitely demanding for more of this stuff to be together, you know, and something they use the word integration. Can, can you can can you integrate? Can it integrate? Just make everything integrate. What they really mean is like just please make it all work together, so yeah. I don't have to deal with. 10, 15 different vendors and log into 10, 15 different places to get the information that I ultimately that I ultimately need, right? Because um, yeah, and then smart buildings is one of those things as well. It's like, well, where does that, where's the left and right of arc of a smart building? Like, is it even defined well enough, you know? Well, and, and it's also, I think, and, and I, the point you made earlier, Gab, is, is very relevant for our market because people are over promising and under delivering people are now saying well i've heard this before and how you know prove yourself now so everyone can prove themselves if they've got a good product but it you know you know saying that you can you know get out of bed and by the time you get to the office your desk is sorted the doors have opened the heating's done the way you want it and the lights are on just the way you like it in your corner of the office you know that that's over promising and under delivering because you know there's a bit of that out there but, uh I've got some, some more questions that came in before this. So Matt, Matt one for you. From, from your experience, what, and this kind of leads on from the last one, is, is what's the hardest part about finding a solution that is the right fit for a customer? Uh, I'd say typically it's probably the customer. Um, <laughs> because the amount of kind of work that you have to go into, into developing almost like the, the kind of recipe that they want. So if their smart building is a cake, they're normally very clear on what they want the taste to be but then the second that you start to show them some uh, you know kind of what's under the hood and the different ingredients that make that recipe um they start to kind of like nitpick over like the cost of some of the ingredients and you know as the chef it's like you know you have to leave me to my art almost yeah. and uh that's what makes it tough and particularly then when they see what the cost of it is but the kind of flip side of that equation is that the benefits kind of stack yeah. And they're very fixated on the one hand, but not what they can unlock on the other side by, you know, loading up some of, of that cost. And that's where I think it becomes really difficult. And I, I, I do think as well that some people still look at price rather than ROI. It doesn't matter how much you, you know, as that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink, right? But if you, if you deliver a solution, it's going to cost you 100000 but your return on investment is over a million in nine months or 12 months. I can't spend a hundred grand, 
you can't spend 100 grand. So that's when you've also got to try and find your way and navigate your way to the right people because some of the people that hold the purse strings on this need to deliver that, but they may not be given the remit to deliver based on ROI. It's just go, you've got this much to spend, go and get a solution. So that also also makes it tricky. I mean, Gab, from a tenant experience side, you, you almost, you, you, you have to be pretty good because if, 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 if the building owner just doesn't want it, they just, you know, they, there's more, there's more reasons not to than do, but once people have it in, they want more and more and more of it. And Equiem is proof of that, right? Like the, the explosion you've had while you're now an Aussie living in the U S is because it went so big. You've just like, right family, we're all going over here because this is getting bigger and bigger. So, I mean, how, how are you seeing it and how do, how do you help customers and, and how do you see things? We're doing a ton of it at the moment and <clears throat> obviously, you know, uh, working pretty closely with you guys at Metricus on a bunch of things that our customers want that we don't directly provide. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has exploded. I mean, it, it's it's taken a long time. I think we were we were super early. You know, my co-founder was a real estate guy and he would, would have been one of a handful of people 10 years ago in the world that was a landlord that was actually thinking, how do I how do I connect with the 4,000 people in my building? You know, I remember the first few trips I did to New York, probably in, I don't know, 2015, 2016, and met with some of the big New York landlords and it was just blank faces, <laughs> you know? It was like, oh, you know, like I just couldn't understand where the value proposition was, candidly, in, in connecting with the employee. Um, but of course, you know, what's happened is the world's continued to change. The employee is, you know, we were saying this back 10 years ago, but, the employee is arguably the most important customer, you know, in, in real estate. They're the ones consuming the product that is the workplace, that is the building, you know, and smart buildings are about ideally the building operating at maximum efficiency, absolutely, you know, you know, sustainable buildings. But as much as anything else, and certainly from where we're coming from, smart buildings are about buildings that can actually be responsive to the people that occupy them, you know, and so you have to have the people front and center. Um, I think it's I think it's a combination of factors, Michael, but it, it has exploded. COVID's definitely created tailwinds and an acceleration in demand and adoption. You know, we're seeing pr previously the sales cycle was kind of like, you know, let's do a handful of buildings. And to your point, we, would, we love it when customers go deep and actually do proper due diligence prior to buying because we, we've been around for the longest, the product's solid. So, you know, that works well for us. Um, but, you know, the portfolio rollouts are really what we're seeing now. It, it's customers kind of going, oh, I need this data on every single tenant across my entire portfolio. I need this, you know, I need this platform in every building. Um, and that's really where we've seen um, things explode in the last probably 12 months. Um, and, we, and based on that, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say that, the, and we're getting a ton of questions around. Now it's all about, because um, once you've got the employees connected, to your point, well, what are you going to, you know, what, what do you want to actually achieve here? You know, is it is it sharing your, um, you know, your sustainability, uh, you know, goals and targets and driving change with regard to those things? Is it supporting the retailer that's renting space from you in the lobby? You know, and so it's it's about having this modularity and being able to configure to your point, bake the cake that they want, because every building is a snowflake, right? And so every building actually is different. Every tenant mix is different. 
And so you really have to be able to adapt, um, you know, the tool for, for the purpose. But lots of demand around, um, you know, fit, fitting sensors or pulling the data through from sensors and devices to be able to display air quality, to be able to more accurately measure capacity, occupancy, et cetera. And that is a real, you know, I think that um, certainly our customers, you know, it's very new to them, very new. And so, you know, and they're talking to your guys over at Metricus, obviously, but it's a real education um, process to, to really understand what they need, how they should do it. So it's very operational, you know, like there's, and that's the thing with real estate tech that I think people underestimate is it's not, it, it, it's not just about deploying software. It would be nice if it was, but, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's actually very operational and there's change management, you know, and there's education. And so you really have to hold hands with the customer and, and walk through that process together to make sure they do get that time to value that they're after. It leads me on to a question that, uh, another one that came in prior to this. So for people who are watching now and listening later, based on what you just said, what, what, what do people get the most value from from a tenant experience app? What are your customers for the people who are looking at it now but may not have it and are looking or being told they need to look at one? What's what's the biggest value or and multiple values that people are seeing once they've installed it and they start using it? I know you've said every building's a snowflake, so every building's different, but is there are there common threads of value that that come out of the tenant experience app? Yeah, we, we look at it on a spectrum, right? Because, and we we talk to our customers about time to value because, you know, it, you switch it on on day one and you're going to see straight away some little one percenters, right? And that's about being able to communicate more readily, which drives satisfaction. It's, it's incredible how many complaints and how many dissatisfied tenants and customers, it just is a real, <laughs> just as a result of not being communicated with effectively, right? So you switch it on, you can straight away communicate with everyone in the building as basic and fundamental as that sounds. I mean, we're not, you know, um, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's very valuable. Then there's operational efficiency. So, you know, if you've got meeting rooms that, that need booking, if you've got a wellness center, if you've got amenities, if you've got any kind of bookable space, um, you know, then, then you're obviously making that available and driving efficiencies. Again, it never ceases to amaze me how many poor property teams are understaffed and still, managing things with you know blue tack and, and and sticky notes you know like literally and so they do, they just don't have any of these tools so having one place to go having the central communications having everything bookable all the little you know workflows that happen day to day in a property can be automated really simply with technology you know um and and that you know th then you kind of start to get into well can you monetize aspects of the property in a pre-COVID world, that was a big focus. Candidly, for most of our customers, that's not really the focus. It's really about just get people back to the building and deliver a great experience. Um, but certainly, you know, anyone who's looking, and, that, and that's something that really has exploded now. We're seeing events get switched back on. Placemaking is a massive priority. How do you differentiate your building against the one next door? What is it that's going to bring people back? And so, again, you've got these pro property management teams that don't necessarily... I mean, they're stretched, right? They're just completely stretched and they don't have time to deliver on this um, engagement and events. And so again, you need technology to simplify that to make it as easy as possible so that they can manage it all. Um, but where we really think the value is with our platform is in the data, but that takes a little while to get there, right? Because you actually have to have the platform rolled out. 
probably a year, you know, and, and, and drive engagement, you know, and, and have a lot of usage on the platform in order to really start to unpack useful insights. You know, you want to be benchmarking satisfaction, you know, the entire time. You want to be slicing and dicing your data contextually against when does this tenant expire? What industry are they in? You know, if you've got some, a lot of our customers, you know, that have got it rolled out portfolio wide, have got the same tenant, same company in multiple buildings, you know, so what's what trends, you know, can you actually uncover that you can immediately use to then drive more sophisticated um, renewal targeting, right? Because all, all of these, all the ice cream socials and the lobby parties that everyone puts on, it's, it's really just about renewal, right? I, I want my tenants to have a great experience so that they'll pay more rent and stay longer, right? It's not, real estate's not very complicated. Um, so what we're saying is you need to be able to do that in a much more targeted way now in a post-COVID world. And it's not just spray and pray. You can't just take your 20,000 pound tenant engagement budget and just, you know, chuck on yoga and ice cream socials. That's not going to cut it anymore. So you actually need to be able to get smart about, speaking of smart buildings, get smart about how you're using the data and then actually target certain individuals, certain companies with the things that you know that are important to them. And, you know, whether that is around ESG or whether that's services or whether that's free coffee or free Ubers, let's work that out and let's deliver that, you know. Um, but it, that's a that's a multi-year strategy. I mean, we're, we've got these targeted retention plans going in the vast majority of our buildings. We, our customer success team work hand in hand with the property teams. We're talking renewals two, three years out. We don't, you know, because wow. um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a multi-year strategy. And that's the other thing that I think um, is one of the things, we, you know, I started to touch on it before around adoption and just the misconceptions, you know, and that's where I think vendors like us need to be prepared to be honest about this stuff because, yes, you will see benefit in some ways when you switch it on, but the, the real benefit is, you know, this is a long-term play. This whole customer engagement thing, you can't, you know, you can't just switch it on. It's the same with the IoT and the sensors. Like, you can start measuring, but it takes time to really be able to analyze that and do something meaningful with it. Yeah, and, and there are there are some quick wins when you put some sensors in. If you go into a building and you know it's horrendously hot, then you're like, well, this is going to be a quick win just to tell you how really shit the indoor air quality is. And that's a quick win and a tick in the box. But it is data over time that tells you how the building's performing and operating. And I think, uh, Matt, one for you is... Uh, given where you've been and where you've worked, have you seen a change from it being more tenant slash occupier using smart building tech or wanting it to landlords? Or do you think it's shifting and, and the shift, I'm never going to use the word COVID. Do you think it has been COVID or, or do you think there are other reasons for it as well, like registra registration, legislation and demands? So where do you see it? I think it in the past was probably more led by tenants because they wanted to do something different in their space. They wanted, uh, in some cases, to beat their landlords over the head with a stick and they had to come with data to yeah. sort of prove that. Uh, there was a lot of kind of employee stuff. So I think initially the smart buildings world kind of was about energy, but they called it CSR rather than yeah, yeah. net zero at the time. And that was about saving money. Uh, then kind of rents went up, so it was all about space efficiency. And once uh, people were starting to feel like battery chickens, 
um, we decided that actually internal air quality and other health and well-being things um, was a good placebo effect. Uh, no, 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 you're not a battery chicken. We actually really care about you because we put in a couple more parts per million of oxygen. Um, and once we kind of got to the end of that cycle, um, it became almost like a competitive advantage for a landlord or an asset developer to start putting that stuff kind of ready to go out of yeah. the box in the building. Yeah. And so then they started to look at what were the kind of big macro things that the building needed, like shared sort of network backbones, if there was a platform of some description that you could tie into for, so that you could, whatever you wanted to do in your own demise, and yeah. still then some tenants kind of got funny about it. Um, <laughs> That, that there was a bit of security between it or for the landlord that you had a piece of software that would act as police to stop tenants doing silly things on your chillers or boilers that would fatigue them or cause other problems around the place um it it feels like at the minute it's now become a kind of sword measuring competition as to whose building is the smartest when it comes to the landlord side of things and i think we'll find over the coming months rather than years that having a baseline sort of smart building specification or bits of a capability that you have will just become uh, a hygiene factor which in some ways is good because it will also mean that they've got the necessary data infrastructure for all of the incoming uh, net zero regulations which will then help i think take it from being a kind of early adopter to you know sort of something that promotes tech to yeah. all the way through to the laggards yeah, I think we, we've definitely seen a shift uh, and it is it is accelerating. As we've, as we've all said, one of the questions on here, I don't need to read because it was like, why do you think the, the industry has been slow? But Gab, you mentioned that earlier. So it's, it's a tick in the box. Uh, so I, I think uh, there's a question here. How, how do you think, and this is for you both, how do you think smart buildings companies can better to can better communicate the value of their solutions? Now, this is... This is an interesting one because for me, everyone wants to sell their products, but if you oversell and under deliver, then it has a knock on effect that we're all seeing in the market at the moment of people saying, yeah, I've been promised this before, but, but how do you, how do you think, how do you think we can communicate better to the people who need our solutions? Gab, I'll go to you first. Um, <clears throat> I think it's probably about asking a lot of questions. Um, sometimes, you know, I think that because, you know, because the adoption of technology is kind of exploded now, you know, there are big real estate companies are hiring very smart, very capable people in creating, you know, appropriately resourced innovation and digital teams. And so at the top end of the market, we're seeing more of that now, which is good, but it hasn't always been that way you know, and still in the smaller or the mid-market groups or, you know, smaller private developers, you know, that they actually don't necessarily have someone on team. I mean, no one person anyway could, could know about all these things, you know, and so you do run into scenarios with customers where they're asking for something, but they don't really know why. <laughs> or they don't, you know, and, um, and you know, you can... You, you know, you have to be prepared um, to challenge customers from time to time politely. You know, there's no point just saying, oh, you want a flying unicorn, no worries. Let me mock that up in my slide deck and, you know, that'll be $100,000. Um, you know, when realistically, 
you were never going to be able to deliver it. And it was probably not a very good idea in the first place. You know, they've, they've been, you know, someone's been to a lunch with someone and, and now all of a sudden we've decided we want, you know, whatever it is, the coffee to come down with a drone, you know, as you're approaching the building. Um, so I think you have to be prepared to ask why, um, you know, and really get to the bottom because someone will say, I want, you know, whatever, but you have to kind of say, well, what, pro what problem are we trying to solve? Like, where did you start from? Let's go back to the beginning, you know? So, because someone might say, well, we've got, you know, I don't like when we're talking about, well, can you do, can we measure air quality? Well, maybe what's the layout of the building, you know? Um, and, you know, have you discussed it with your tenants and, you know, we can, have you got shared amenity spaces? What, where are you going to measure the air quality? You know, and on and on it goes. And that's not even an area that, I mean, that's where we ring Metricus and say, meet our friends Metricus and talk to them about this. Um, but, you know, point being, you have to really get to the bottom of what problem are we trying to solve here? Why are we measuring air quality? Is it because we want to know how good the air quality is or is it because we want to market the fact that the air quality in the building is 12 times better than in your home office or is it to meet, you know, uh, you know, so you have to get to the bottom of the why. And if you can get to the bottom of the why and occasionally say, mm, I'm not sure that you need to do that, you know, like all this stuff that you want to do, here are the pieces of it that are going to make the difference, you know, and 80-20 rule, right? Let's start with these things. Let's get going. Let's try not to boil the ocean here. And, um, you know, and then we can add as we go. And we, because we're so focused on the tenant data and what the tenants want, we're constantly saying to customers, don't boil the ocean. You don't have to have the first year worked out before you even get started. This is actually about finding out what your customers want. <laughs> and so when we get started, we can start to do that. And then we're going to be way more informed to make these other decisions down the line. Um, so, yeah, but I think everyone's, people are now getting nervous. Those that haven't adopted technology, there is nervousness in the market, certainly in the landlord market. There is nervousness with, you know, landlords that have got big, you know, scary expiry profiles in buildings that, you know, are not new. Um, and so there is a rush to adopt it, uh, you know, but so I think that's on the vendors to say, okay, you know, here are the bits that you need today. Let's do it in stages, um, you know, and, and not feel like we need to do everything right now. Well, you can't, as you said, it's the saying I use a lot, it's boil the ocean. It is a journey. Doing a smart building is is a 100% a journey. So, Matt, over to you. How do we communicate better the value of, of solutions to people who are looking to buy, needing to buy, whether it's because they just want to prove they've got a good building and a smart building and better indoor air quality, or whether it's legislation or whether it's what Gab just mentioned, whether they've got massive, you know, break causes in leases that are coming up and they want to retain tenants. How do, how do you think we can better communicate as a whole? Uh, I think if it's around kind of buying a solution, stop giving me your fake glitz and glamour uh, and show me what you've done. I want to know what it did for energy, what it did for space and what it did for your HR metrics. And to get to that point, what were the inputs that were needed and the cost that goes with it. I think if you just actually showed somebody the size, scale and complexity of what it takes to get to a certain outcome, then at least I'm going into it with my eyes wide open as to what it's going to take. Yeah. And it will help with all of the sort of disappointment and the horror stories that you see. And then 
I think that it start people will generate their own stories and way of talking about the value so that it makes sense and you can actually start to compare the functionality of different buildings. Yeah. I think my biggest disappointment that I've, uh, has come to the market recently, I would say, is probably smart score because I'm really struggling to get out of it <clears throat> how I can compare people or the capabilities of buildings very easily and it feels still quite smoke and mirrors for a standard as to what are the actual differences between it. Maybe I've just not studied it hard enough, but I don't find it probably as legible as it should be. So I still think we've got some work to do on that. Yeah, I, I haven't read it a lot, but I would, I've read, I've read it, skimmed it, but I would say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's, there's a question for me, which everyone kind of asked, someone apologized to listeners in advance, but it's, the market the market is changing and i ask this for two different sides one from Matt, from the consulting side and, and advising people on digitization of smart buildings and gab you from the tenant experience side and i'll go to you first matt where where do you think the market is going and why why do you think it's going to change and what will be the big uh, changes that drive our and try to drive the space we're in over the next three to five years. Hmm. It feels like smart buildings have been a bit of a pet project uh, up until now. The, uh, and COVID and net zero have massively changed it for somebody who was feeling quite ambitious and techy and wanted to like make a change to how their space worked. And now it feels like uh, because of COVID, it was all about compliance to start with, yeah. getting people in, proving that things were um, cleaned properly, that um, contact tracing. Uh, could be sort Sitting of down with length apart. Exactly. <laughs> then we went through a kind of short period of, I'm going to call it coercion, uh, for lack of a better name, which was about, no, no, you really need to come back in because of this thing and it's exciting, but also yeah, I've proven that the, the place is safe for you. And I think the next stage that we will start to see uh, is probably around collaboration. And that is how can I prove to you that it's worth coming into the office because you're going to be able to work with your peers, we've got the right facilities so that even if um, you need to work with somebody that's remote, um, that's not going to be a problem acoustically or fast with dealing with things. Um, it, it'll be about, well, why is it worth coming in and dealing with that commute? Because uh, you've probably now moved out of the city as well. Um, that makes the office, the experience and the culture that I'm trying to make here valuable. And then, so if that's the kind of front end facing side, I think the the kind of back end that the ops team are going to need the technology for is to stand up and prove all of the things that they've done to meet their net zero goals and without some of the technology um and i, I think it's beyond things like energy analytics you need to do proper kind of occupancy driven demand um for all of the kind of loading profiles that your building might have you're going to have to prove it and i don't think you're able to operate at the agility to get down to the sorts of euis that you need for net zero without that technology installed. Yeah, uh, we, before I had over to go, we were talking to a smart young man this morning uh, who's an ESG expert to help with the ESG side of our platform for reporting and things. And we're not gonna have the ESG report that ticks everyone's boxes, but he, the, what he was talking to us about, given what the platform can do and the data you can pull in, that is all required for ESG. So, you know, if the, the, the E and the S, we can all help with the G we can't how you govern your business is is kind of up to you as a board but the E and the S they're, they're, I didn't realize until he spoke to us today really bright young guy actually uh, 
and we'll ask him to come back to help. Uh, but he was talking about the, the E and the S and I didn't realize that you can, uh, you know, you have to prove it now. It's not just saying we're going to do it greenwashing. I heard DWS was raided this morning for uh, greenwashing uh, on the news. Uh, Gary, our CEO was telling me, I'm, I'm yet to read it, but he's sent it across to me. Uh, but you can't do that anymore, right? You have to prove it. So an ESG and having the data, if you've got live data, that's better than having static data and manual data that you have to input into it. So I think that's going to play a big role, uh, which means you have to prove it. You can't just say we've done it and tick a box. You have to prove it. And you have to prove things, as you said earlier, Gab, with data. You can't just say, right, there's my energy monitoring. Well, what was it when you first started and where are you now? Well, we only started a month ago. So, so here's my month's worth of data. But if you've got six months, 12 months, two years, and you've got some of your customers, Gab, have got, you know, hundreds of buildings, you know, that getting that data across all of those buildings takes a lot of sensors, takes a lot of time or a lot of connectivity to pull it in. But uh, yeah, over to you, Gab. Where do you, where do you see the market going? You've probably got a different view to, slightly different view to both of us, but a bigger view given you're in the States and Metricus is only just going to the States. We just hired our first two people. So. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, and we, we're very focused on selling to landlords as well. So my view will, will also be slightly yeah. different because of that. Right. But you know, in the world of the landlords listings. Yeah, I hope so. Um, uh, in the world that we operate in, um, you know, I think, uh, we are seeing acceleration of adoption of all sorts of technologies for, for all sorts of reasons. And so I think that, um, you know, last week we launched Equium One and um, without making this a blatant product pitch, but we, we believe that more things need to come together in the one platform, right? That's, and that's been our strategy for a couple of years now. I think it makes no sense at all with these very stretched property managers and these very stretched workplace managers or HR managers on the other side to have to log into a million different tools to, you know, to do things in their workplace, whether that's register a guest or, you know, raise a work order or organize access control or attend an event or read the latest update. Like all these things need to come together because at the moment, you know, where we were headed with all these single point disparate solutions is, you know, a million different sources of truth, lots of clunky stuff that doesn't really talk to each other um, as much as everyone wants to integrate, you know, a lot of these systems that have been around in real estate for a long time, a legacy, they're clunky, you know, and they're hard to integrate with well which of course means it's next to impossible to get the data out. So I think this concept of end-to-end -end or more end-to-end -end, um, is, is going to be one trend that we're already seeing and we're going to continue to see. And I, you know, I'm quite sure that Equium is not alone in that strategy. Um, and a lot of it is coming from customer demand as well, right? They're like, you guys, and, and if you can bundle things as well, you're going to be able to drive costs down. I mean, at the moment, every little tech company that's trying to stand alone everyone wants their little piece of the how many pennies per square foot can i get you know but that's a problem for for the operators right um they're trying, to, they're trying to make these buildings operate more efficiently not only to save money on their energy bills but across the board right because it's going to be and, and that's going to that's not going to go away anytime soon this market's going to get more and more competitive um because of the major shift that we've seen in terms of demand for space. Um, so I think end-to-end -end is a trend we're gonna see. <clears throat> I think experience, I mean, we've been banging the drum for 10 years now, but it, it, you know, we're really finally, it feels getting to a point where the whole world is actually saying, oh, customer engagement is really important. <laughs> like having customers be happy in my buildings 
is actually a, a hugely important thing. Um, and so, you know, however that manifests itself depends on the building. But I think that physical experiences are important. And I think that the digital experience is critical as well. So, you know, and, and when you again think about this clunky technology that these poor property teams have been using and ten making tenants use for a million years, you know, we, I mean, whether it's us or whoever, like the bar has got to continue to increase seriously on just actually having decent, beautiful, intuitive technology to use, right, in, in these buildings. Um, and the third thing is one that you mentioned, Matt, and it's collaboration. So I think we are going to see a lot more collaboration between landlord and tenant or occupier, right? Um, and I think that there's opportunities for that to happen in technology. Um, there's opportunities for them to share data uh, and we're starting to see more of that now. There's opportunities for them to both be using the same tools, right? So can the tenant use the visitor management that the, that the building is using? Can the tenant, you know, communicate with their staff using the, the property app? Yes, they can. Can the tenant see the data on how their employees are experiencing the amenities? You know, yes, they can. So we're starting to create these interfaces now for the workplace managers so that they can really be quite integrated and quite collaborative with the property manager because it's one thing that they both really want at the moment and that's you know the productivity and the well-being of the employees right they're both motivated you know at, at that kpi so the, the more they work together the better because otherwise you know literally over here they're putting on employee benefits and perks and and then over here they're also trying to have employee benefits and perks you know but no one's really coordinating this so you know collaboration um around the the experience um and the you know and the data i think is 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 coming maybe it's already here yeah well no i don't think it is here but it has to come and, and it will be more landlord and the tenant sharing data for, for the right reasons you know and only sharing the data they need to but i think also for all of that to happen that you've both spoken about you mentioned this earlier Gab, about there are some companies just trying to sell their kit and their wares to generate revenue to prove that the series B or series C or series D they had is, is given value to them as a business. But there's a lot of customers that we talk to are saying, well, why do I have to pay ongoing costs for a piece of hardware? I don't understand it. Now I get all of that. And I, I bang on about this to all my partners all the time. So they hate me for that, but hopefully they'll admit at the same time as we sell their stuff. But the, that is that is a problem right so why 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 and, and we get it asked all the time and, and unless this market starts to play together and grow up and mature together i don't think we'll see the advancements that we need to for the customers because it's not about us it's about the customers yes we would all want to make a ton of money and have a very successful business but unless we play together unless we listen to the customer and we do what the customer says and what the customer needs i mean you said it earlier, some customers can ask for the sky and some people will say they can deliver it and then they'll fuck it up, part of my language. But if if we don't play together as an industry to help the customer get what they need, then we won't accelerate in this market as quick as I think it possibly if we play together. You know, if we look at markets that are pushing in wireless access point world now, they're coming in and they're saying, right, got all this infrastructure just stick you know we've got software now bundled into that you can stick uh, uh more sorry just flashed up and said i don't have any internet but you're still there gab i gather because you're moving moving gap yes you are uh, <laughs> uh, so we uh 
we, we're seeing before we know it in this space, if you're a hardware vendor or you've got, you know, a bag full of, you know, kit that you can is ongoing cost. You're not listening to the market and listening to the customer behind us, behind this space services will start to deliver solutions that can bolt onto any software, yours or ours, Gab, and just deliver a, a solution that a customer wants without over-promising and under-delivering. And, and with, one, with one cost for this and one cost for that, and I know what I'm getting, but I don't understand why I've got all these other costs. That, that fundamentally needs to change for me, for this, for this space to grow and for it to get where you and Matt have just said. And I think it will get there, but how fast it gets there depends on the maturity of our market and the maturity of the businesses and the partners that we all work with, I think. That's my 10 cents worth or pence worth. Michael, do you think the hardware costs are going to go down? Like, do you think as the kind of IoT sensor tech industry develops and gets a bit more mature that we'll see, um, you know, because they're, that's one of the issues for our customers. They want to do a lot of these things, but it, it is expensive, right? Um, depending on the size of the building. And um, yeah, I, I, I counsel them basically to, you know, if, if you're going to invest, do it and do it properly. Because once you go for the cheaper sensors, they just, you know, then you, you don't get what you need. So the whole exercise is pointless. Um, but, and I know I'm, not, I'm probably not supposed to be asking questions, but do you think that... Yeah. Do whatever you, want. Yeah. you can do whatever you want, Gab. There's no set formats. I always right. have questions written down and I never follow them because I just don't like to. So, yeah, go for it. Yeah. That, so do I think, do I think the cost is going to come down? Do I think the, I think the cost has to come down. I don't think it's a will it. I think it is. it will happen. And I know at the moment, uh, and a lot of our partners have worked out ways to keep the price steady because, you know, microchip shortages in the market doing what it is, you know, prices of the, the sensor component parts of the bits that go into things like this have gone from three pounds to 12 pounds to 20 pounds. And, you know, it's just, it's almost like being held to ransom. So a lot of our partners are working out ways to get around that. And, you know, I, I'll give Zovis a, a, a plug here, not because I'm giving them a plug in general, but they brought out a new sensor because their current sensor that they were using the chipsets and everything in it were quadrupled in price. Now, like we do that, we're going to kill our market. So they created a whole new sensor. With they went and found new component parts. That's a smart. That's a smart hardware company, right? That is like, how do we make sure we don't have to drive the price up because the price needs to come down or at least stay where it is? They went and found a solution and they went and built that solution. So I think, I think it will happen because there's more and more hardware partners coming out. You know, this, this, we get. I hear about a new sensor company pretty much every week and I think I've got my ear to the ground and then we get sensors sent to us. You know, I've got, got a company uh, based in Taiwan saying we've got these indoor air quality sensors and we, can we send you some to test? And I'm like, right, uh, all good to give me the parameters. How accurate are they? And then the magic numbers, what's the price? Some of the price of sensors I'm hearing now coming from, from Asia and I know some companies don't want to work with Asian companies, but you know, it depends on where it comes from. They will but the prices are, are very low, like they're very different, you know? And, and I know some people sell and say it's because of the battery life and all that sort of stuff, and that's great. But if you look at ESG and sustainability, our battery is always the best from a long-term total cost of ownership perspective, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but long answer to a short question. Yes, I think they'll come down and I think they need to come down for customers to, to roll this out, Gab, you know, 
we price out some buildings and it's millions to do everything end to end, you know, and I know there's an ROI, but it's still finding that capex to get that going. You can't just pull it out of your bum, you know, you've got to go and build a business case and you've got to get budget from lots of different teams. So to truly roll this out at scale for everybody, the, the price I think will and has to come down at some point. It's hard though, Gab, because it's hard though for that. Sorry to interrupt. It's hard though, because look at where the market's going at the moment and the share price and the valuations of businesses, software, tech across the board, some of them have to sell high to drive the revenue to you know, get the return on investment for their investors to make sure they hit the numbers, to make sure they get the valuation, to make sure they get the next round of funding. So it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but I do think it has to happen. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because it is difficult to, you know, adopt um, at scale for yeah. some customers at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and there's inconsistencies in quality and, you know, pricing. So, but it has to, I, I keep thinking, to your point, it's one of the, you know, hotly demanded areas right now. And that's going to have to, you know, then they'll, so then there'll be more companies and then there'll be consolidation and, you know, and then we'll see, you know, stability and, and prices. We'll see, what comes out in the, we'll see what comes out in the wash over the next few years. What do you think? I'm totally with you on that. The only build I think I would uh, want to add is over the next couple of years, I think we'll say, see a total consolidation in the number of players in the market yeah. so that it, uh, a sense of basically works like an extension to the same way as you buy some uh, plant room equipment yeah. um, and they can be, you know, kind of compared and benchmarked and, you know, play about with price points and things uh, accordingly and i wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't the plant room people uh, who would also supply the sensors so you could probably get uh, the full kind of kit and clobber that you would need from a johnson controls a honeywell a schneider electric i keep your eye on honeywell i can say much more than that but keep your eye on honeywell <laughs> Cool. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Uh, Gab, have a lovely day. I'm glad you're well and better after COVID. Uh, and Matt. You too, guys. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Take care.